you've caught me off guard, Parsons, about the schedule because you know I need to plan what I say. I need my schedule notes that every other promoter does. Oh, no, don't be silly, it's Eddie Hearn. So let me tell you, this Saturday night, World Championship double header at Wembley Live on the Zone. The number one cruiserweight in the world, Jay Opatar, the IBF, the Ring Magazine champion, will fight the undefeated Brit, Jordan Thompson, looking to, in one fight, become the daddy of the cruiserweight division. Ellie Scottney defends her world title. Chev Clark in a big step up as well. And next week, are you ready for, in my opinion, one of the fights of the year? Lee Wood from Nottingham against Josh Warrington from Sheffield. Two two-time world champions. Josh Warrington looking to become a three-time world featherweight title. The atmosphere will be off the charts. Great undercard as well, particularly Terry Harper against Cecilia Brackhouse. The week after, it's actually a week off, but not really if you're a DAZN subscriber. Get this, KSI against Tommy Fury, Logan Paul against Dylan Dennis, Salt Pappy against Slims. I'm not even a... Against who? Slims. I'm not even a... Don't ruin the flow. Oh, Slim. <laughs> Get out of the way. Fuck off. I'm not even a Misfits guy. Shout out Cali Sale and the Mams Taylor. That card is absolutely banging. The week after, nearly 7,000 now already sold for Jack Catterall against Jorge Linares. Huge card up there. The 28th is one of my favourite fights. We're off to Cancun because it's Eduardo, Rocky Hernandez, looking to make history for Mexico against the WBC world champion, Oshaki Foster. Great, great night. And we'll stay in the world super featherweight division because Joe Caldina makes the little trip to Monaco for a fantastic show defending his championship against Eduard Vasquez. November 11th will be a UK card and hopefully we announce that tomorrow night. November the 18th, we're back on the plane. We go to Los Angeles for the small matter of, I believe, the future of the 168-pound division, Diego Pacheco. Headlined in the UK, headlined in Mexico. Now he does it in Los Angeles, November the 25th. Are you ready, Dublin, for what will be the sold-out rematch for the undisputed 140-pound title, Chantel Cameron against Katie Taylor. Legacy, belt, everything on the line. I will officially announce December 2nd will be another show announced soon. And then we get to December 9, and we're off to the Golden Gate, the Bay Area, for one of the fights of the year. The undisputed lightweight world champion, Devin Haney, against the WBC 140-pound champion, Regis Prograve. This is a banger. What a fight. And then we just make a small trip down to Arizona for Sonny Edwards, against Bam Rodriguez for the Unified Flyweight World Championship. And the 23rd, we'll probably throw in Eubank against Ben. Have you seen a schedule like it? Compare it to everybody else's and understand no one can lace our boots. Love us, hate us, respect us. And that is the way we go from Saturday to Christmas time. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where... Do, do, do. Jamel Chala got his ass handed to him. Like, badly handed to him. You almost look at it like, I think Canelo showed mercy on him. And, you know, having said that, actually, let's let's actually give Jamel credit for surviving longer than Callum Smith, surviving longer than Rocky Fielding, surviving longer than Billy Joe Saunders. Um, you know what I mean? That is some... Some achievement, and it goes back to this message I've been using for the last few episodes. Pedigree gets you a long way in this game, and that's pedigree in terms of how you came up, but when you're undisputed at Super Welter, you kind of carry a bit of pedigree. Now, when the fight was announced, kind of like the boxing romantic in me was like, I really hope Jamal Chala can have a good go, give a good account of himself against Canelo. But I always wonder how. No, that's always the question when, when these outlandish achievements are being proposed. I'm always like, how? 
feel the same way about Crawford fighting Canelo. I'm like, how are you going to do something to Canelo at 168 that no one has tried to do before? Are you going to hit him harder? Hit him faster? Are you going to be more elusive? What is it about you at 168 that is going to worry Canelo? And that was always going to be the question that Jamal Charlo had to answer quickly. I don't think his general demeanor and attitude helped because I think that's all the fuel that Canelo needed. This was the first fight in a long time I've seen Canelo with a point to prove. I don't even think in that kind of last Triple G fight he had a point to prove. Maybe in the second one more so. But we haven't seen that version of Canelo in a long time and it also helped having a a smaller guy in there to, to, to dance with, right? So let, let's, let's just go back. Everyone that saw Jamal Charlo on the scales at the weigh-in, you knew that he probably hadn't had to cut that much to make that weight. Um, he's probably a natural 154 guy, a guy who could hold 154 for his whole career. And he looked fleshy, watery. He didn't look shrink-wrapped like Canelo did on the scales. So you knew going into that fight, Canelo might be going in 180, 185 pounds. Charlo definitely wasn't. Charlo's probably in there 170, 172 tops. And not a good 172 either. So it's not like, like I said, he wasn't shrink-wrapped or peeled. It was just probably his training weight. And so considering that, you're almost surprised that the fight lasted as long as it did. And I think that's down to a couple of things. One, I just think Canelo's an old 30-something now, isn't he? If we're being brutally honest, the miles are catching up to Canelo. And he can afford to do things to guys like Jamal Charlo who offer nothing back that he couldn't do to Bivol because Bivol offers a lot more back. And if Canelo fought Baturbiev, he couldn't do any of those things. But it was nice to see combination punching Canelo back. It was nice to see... Um, walking people down behind the high guard Canelo back. It was nice to see hurtful punches Canelo back. None of this boxing masterclass. He he literally set out to beat the respect into Jamal Charlo and beat the respect he did. There's no real finesse. There's no real nothing. He beat the respect into Jamal Charlo. And that's just a reminder. There are weight classes for a reason. Now, ideally, you'd be like, well, there's not many kilos between them. And I've probably made this argument before. But it's not so much about what you can bring physically. It's about what you can take. Now, I always worry when a smaller guy moves up in weight and turns out to be slower than the supposedly bigger guy. Canelo was faster. Timing was better. Seemed to see the shots before Charlo. Charlo couldn't reciprocate. Charlo couldn't be that man. He couldn't be sharp. He couldn't be fast. He couldn't punch in combinations. Because if you look at Jamal Charlo's career, he's used to being the strongest, toughest, baddest man in his division. Like he's, I think he's a career 154 guy. And as such, he, he hasn't had to work hard. And what I mean by that is he hasn't had to be a high work rate guy. Because if he catches you, you're gone. And he knows that, but that he's built his career on that. And I think once you get to his age, I think he's 33 now. Hard to change. So against Canelo, who made his career as a combination puncher, so he just had to remember how to do that. 
Canelo had to learn a new approach. No, Charlo had to learn a new approach. But it's another black mark against Derek James, and he's not having a good 2023. And I say this a lot about coaches. You know, the hype can be with you, the hype can be against you. Right now, the hype is against Derek James. And I can't understand why. Because he knows his boxing. There's no question about that. You don't win what he's won without that. But it's almost like he's only got one approach, and that is just be bigger and stronger than your opponents and grind them down. And so when you're against someone that doesn't want to be ground down, there's no plan B. There's no plan B in the corner. It's just keep doing what you're doing. You're going to get him. Although Canelo was letting you know it's not going to happen. I mean, like Charlo got dropped in the seventh. You can see he didn't want to go down. His pride was keeping him up, but those shots just caught up to him. And he suddenly realized, yeah, there are weight classes for a reason. How, how he didn't realize this, how his team didn't realize this is beyond me. But I guess that, that check, you mean that seven-figure, eight-figure check, yeah, soothes a lot of wounds. So, you know, I don't think there's much to talk about. I thought it was just pretty much a, a one-sided procession by Canelo. Good way to cement a relationship with Showtime and PBC at a time when we're not certain what's going to happen in the world of boxing. Um. If we look at the show overall, I thought PBC delivered a card I don't believe you could get in the UK. I just don't believe there's a promotion in the UK that could have given you that kind of card. So I'm about to lose my hardcore points by admitting I didn't see all of the PBC card, but the fights I saw were incredible. So um, the first fight on the card was it's Eric Garcia against, ah, uh, I was going to say Remendez. It's not, but I think you guys understand who it was. So, so Garcia gets in the ring, right, with, let's see, he's 15-0 and 0 at this point. He's fighting a kid who's 14-0. and 0. Um, So, for context, like, in this country, you're not fighting for a British unless you're a heavyweight or you're being super pushed. You're not really fighting for a British until you get past this stage. And these kids go on to produce a fight. I think it was a 10-rounder, but only lasted eight of some of the best inside boxing you're going to see from sub-20 bout pros. Um, if you can find a copy of it, please watch this fight. I think it's one of the fights of the year. I think if you're a fighter, you can watch that and learn so much. Their, their ability to, to ride shots, make shots, kind of miss at close quarters. Yes, they were getting caught, but in terms of entertainment, the shame was the arena wasn't more full, wasn't more hyped because... That would have been an amazing um, chief support. Uh, I just thought both men put it on the line. How do you describe a fight like that to a boxing fight? That's, it's a hardcore favourite because the public won't know who these two are, but you could put that in front of anyone in this country and they'd watch it and go, my goodness, these guys are giving value for money. And it's a lesson, I guess, for promoters, matchmakers, managers... These kind of fights elevate you because Eric Garcia is a young man. He's on his way up in the middleweight division. Uh, middleweight division is quite open. I don't know if you can have an entire career with that kind of inside approach just because you're going to get real heavy-handed guys. And at some point, um, that southpaw um, speed accuracy and combination punching could come unstuck. Um, I think if someone was able to hit harder, Eric Garcia might not have made it through to the last bell. 
but he did. And to be honest, I was highly impressed with him in the eighth round. So as a coach, one of my favorite Southport combinations is that right hook to the body, right hook to the head, and Elijah Garcia. Um, wow. And that was probably the first time he had thrown it in the whole fight. You're watching and you're thinking to yourself, why hasn't he doubled up yet? And as soon as he doubled up, he had his guy over. And poor Ascenders, like he'd done nothing wrong in the whole fight. Game as you like, came to fight. And I guess this is what happens when you've got guys with comparable records. You get entertaining fights. So I really love that one. Um, found the Ugas fight hard to to watch. So Ugas fights Mario Barrios, who we remember from fighting Tank Davis, Keith Thurman, etc. So he's come up. And so you'd expect Ugas to have the advantage. But my argument is Ugas's eye hasn't recovered. You know, I think it was the Spence fight where it got damaged. I don't think it's recovered. I think he's also aging. And so his style's not as effective because he hasn't got the resistance he once had. And Barrios was, I'm not going to say able to tee off on him, but Barrios was able to work him over. Uh, dropped him in the second, dropped him in the 12th. Ugas loses a point for repeatedly spitting out the mouthpiece, although whether he spat it out or he just couldn't keep it in. Actually, to a ref, it doesn't matter. And you watch that fight and you're just like, does, does your Dennis Ugas want to be a enhancement talent, we'll call it? Is it that now Boots Ennis has to fight Ugas or does Boots Ennis now have to fight Barrios? Because I think that was for the WBC interim belt. So kind of strange that Boots isn't part of that picture, but maybe they've got bigger plans for him. I have no idea. But having, having seen that, if Ugas decided to retire, there'd be no shame in that he had a good career. But it was hard to watch. Watching his eye just, oh. Uh, but credit to Barrios, maybe we should always give the winner credit. Like he's seemingly cementing himself as a welterweight. Him versus Conor Ben would be a good fight. Like, if Hearn's looking for an opponent for Conor Ben, there you go. Right there. That, that is a fight I quite happily pay to see. I don't think you'll need a big ring for that one. So why not? Uh, other fights that were interesting. Uh, how Lubin got the decision uh, against, was it Ramos? No idea. Uh, <laughs> rare that you hear the PBC guys go off script. But yeah, shocking. Absolutely shocking judging there. Um, Lubin looked lackluster and so I think there's a wider piece talking about the PBC and, and there have been rumours that Showtime will step away from boxing and Al Heyman will look for a new home for his stable but you look at his stable um, Spencer's over 30 Thurman's over 30 if Garcia comes back he's over 30 Boots is getting on a bit like Boots is in his prime years Tank is in his prime years. Um, the Charlos are over 30. Canelo's over 30. All the kind of marquee names we mentioned, Wilder's well over 30, are kind of heading towards the sunset of their career. And I don't think PBC have been as good as top rank in building that new generation. So I almost wonder how many years does Al really want to have evolved in boxing? You just wrap up the PBC and say, we did what we set out to do. We got boxers paid. We helped make sure they were financially secure. Our mission here is complete. I, I have a feeling that PBC 
won't really be around in five years' time. I don't don't see the value of it. By that point, you're not going to be able to to build that roster because if you remember, the PBC was built on having complete control over the welterweight division. And they used that as an anchor to pull other people in in the adjacent weight classes so they were able to to build. But I look at them and I go, I don't think they've done the, the youth building job that top rank have done. Um, you're starting to see Eddie try and do that now as well, so give him a tip of the hat for that. But generally speaking, I think top rank were far more far-sighted than PBC. So I just wonder how long we've got PBC for. And to be honest, we should enjoy them while we've got them. But let's just bring things back to the, to the UK for now, because we had two cards. And in the previous episode, I kind of roasted both cards, and I stand by that. But if you're going to ask me who won the Battle of the Saturday Nights, then I've got to say Eddie Hearn and Matchroom. Um, you're always going to face problems when your headline act is Caroline Dubois, and here's why. As much as you think it's great marketing because, you know, you can hit some of those diversity, you know, you, know, you can tick those boxes, and you can hit those demographics, right? Oh, it's brilliant. Caroline Dubois is a hardcore favourite. I love Caroline Dubois. I think she's class. I think she's talented. I think the world is her oyster. But I understand that she's very niche. Like, the hardcores will love her. Casual fans will be like, give me a reason to care. And so, they're not the most vocal family, the Dubois. So, it's very hard for the casual fan to care. Because she doesn't do Good Morning Britain. She doesn't do the one show. She doesn't do uh, League of Their Own, four and a half, Eight and a Half Cats, whatever it is. She doesn't do any of that. So, having a headline isn't going to bring people to watch. So Hearn, being smart, has Jaya Pattaya versus Jordan Thompson. Now, you may not know who either guy is, but when you see two big lumps at, at you know post-weigh-in, and you go, yeah, that looks like it's going to be a good scrap. So Hearn was smart enough to do that. And then, um, you know, to build your fighter, saying, actually, look, we've got two world titles on the line, they haven't at Sky. Um, I thought Hearn this week played a blinder when he made reference to the fact that all matchroom shows are VADA tested. And he asked the question, are boxer shows VADA tested? And I think we know the answer is no. I don't think that's an acceptable response anymore. And if I was Sky, I would be looking at how do we address that? But I'd also understand that maybe we're not able to access the same pool of funds that matchroom are. And that in itself tells you all you need to know. But let's just focus on Jaya Patai versus Jordan Thompson because we need to we need to sift through the BS and really get down to what this is. This is Hearn being smart, actually. This is what I call a really, really smart showcase fight. Normally, when you want to showcase someone to a new audience, you, you get someone who's seen better days, who, who knows when to throw themselves to the floor. That's what you normally do. And so cynical fans will be like, ah, God. This time they get you Jordan Thompson, a guy who's 6'6", I think. They haven't seen him in person. He's 6'6", but he's huge, by the way. He's, he, he's not only wide, but he's solid from front to back. Like Physically, he's impressive to look at, and you almost wonder how he makes cruiserweight. And so you've got him... And the reason Jordan Thompson was a good sell was you look at him. 
shades of David Hay and all this sort of stuff. You look at him and you're like, he has to be good. Look at the size of him. Subconsciously, you're just thinking he has to be good. He's put the work in. You can see he's put the work in. He has to be good. You got the connection with the Sims, Jim. You're like, oh, he has to be good. The casual fan will think that he has to be good. And then you've got Jar Pattaya, who beat what people consider to be the best cruiserweight to win his title. So he's a legitimate champion. And as long as you keep spreading that narrative that Jordan Thompson's got punches chance, and then you see Jordan Thompson next to Opatai, and you're like, I can see it. It's an easy sell to the casual fan. It's an easy sell to your DAZN subscribers. It's an easy sell to your head office. But Jordan Thompson has no pedigree. He's a big guy. He's an athletic guy. He's a strong guy. But he has no pedigree. And what is pedigree? Pedigree is... That sense of, I've been here before. I've been here. When the pressure's on, you're like, I've been here before. I will work my way out of this situation and flip it to my advantage, right? That's pedigree. You get pedigree from years of doing something. Sometimes getting it wrong, a lot of times getting it right. That's your pedigree. Nothing defeats pedigree when all other things are equal. Nothing. Jayapataya has pedigree. Right. That's one thing he has for absolute sure. I think a lot of people forget that Jayapataya boxed at London 2012. Now, if you consider he's 28 now, what was he, 16, 17 at London 2012? And to qualify, I think he beat David Light, who we saw box uh, Lawrence Okoli. So that lets you know that he's been in good company like from when he was young. I think he won like a World Youth Championship as well. He's, that's pedigree, right? That's pedigree. You've been in with Kazakhs, Uzbeks, uh, Brits, Americans. You've seen every style, Orthodox, Southpaw. You've won some, you've lost some. And along the journey, you've learned. That equips you with the skills you need for a sustainable career at the top. That's why you're able to beat guys like Bradis. Bradis is not what you'd call a boxer of any great pedigree, Right? Jordan Thompson is not a boxer of any great pedigree. You know, these, are, these are guys who have learned to box and have found ways to maximize their physical gifts, but they're never going to have that distance control, that timing, that ability to read a fight, um, ability to make adjustments midway through a fight. It's not who they are. Opatai can, and he can pose problems that these guys don't understand. And that's what you saw with Jordan Thompson. Like, the fight could have been done in the first round. But, you know, Thompson showed his heart and his toughness. But even then, the, the, the tone was set. Let's be absolutely clear. The tone was set. Opatai knew he could do what he wanted because Jordan Thompson didn't know when he could trigger off. He just couldn't read it. And then he couldn't create the opportunities that maximized his gifts. All he could do was kind of commit to just staying in the same place and just trading. And he had some success with that. But against someone like Opatai who can move, not sustainable. I just say this now. Boxing is the art of controlling space. That's all. You control the space, you control the fight. And that's what he did. Four round beat down. Those straight lefts were just landing for fun. Yeah, Landing for fun. And we can say a lot of things. I think Jordan Thompson should be commended for taking the fight. I think he'll be looked after further down the line. That's just how the sport works. He knew what his role was in this fight. And if he didn't, then Tony Sims definitely did. 
and they'll get looked after at the back end of this. But Jordan Thompson was necessary to build the hype around Jaya Pattaya, right? And it's enabled her to tell us he's the best cruiserweight in the world, uh, pretty much unchallenged. And you can't argue after that performance. But the good thing is it's another name we can look at and go, I'd like to see him fight here. So massive success on Matchroom's part in terms of, God, we've got this asset in Australia, but Australia's not a big boxing market. How can we arbitrage that? We'll do it here. We'll have him fight here occasionally. We can make our money back. He fights Billum Smith at Bournemouth or wherever. It's a big fight. Fights Chamberlain. It's a big fight. Fights Reactport. It's a big fight. So they've built an asset using Jordan Thompson. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just a real thing. So I do want to see him. And I know the Australian listeners are going to tell me Opatai is the best in the world. He's my favorite cruiserweight to watch. I like watching him. His style's sufficiently unusual that I like watching and going, yeah, he's good. But I'd still like to see him in with someone that has a bit more pedigree, someone that can read him a little bit better. I don't know if Billum Smith is the guy, but Chris has been in these positions before as well. But we need to find that name where you're like, yeah, I can see that being a competitive fight. Now, I'm not sure who that is off the top of my head, but I do want to see him in there with someone that's got a little bit, well, a significant amount more pedigree than Jordan Thompson has. And then we can really weigh up how good Jawa Pattaya is. But as things stand, yeah, massive respect to him. I can remember talking to Dennis Hobson about Jawa Pattaya because um, he was looking at people like, you know, who could we sign, manage and try and sort of leverage that kind of moneyball concept. So really talented boxers that no one's really giving any airtime to. And I said, Jaya Pattaya, Justice Honey, and David Naika would be class to have. That'd be a decent stable that you could you could have box out of the UK. There's a big enough Australian contingent that you could do that. And so those talks never went anywhere. But from that point on, I've had my eye on these guys. So it's a five-ish year journey. I have my eye on these guys. And it's good to see Jawa Pattaya out there doing his thing. Would like to see him tested because at 28 years old, he doesn't need any build-up fights now. He can go straight into those meaningful bouts. But, yeah, I'm a fan. Um, other fights to touch on. So, you know, I'm always going to be biased. I'm always going to sort of bang the drum for Ellie Scottney, who, who got another win against, uh, I think the opponent's name was Griffa. Um, obviously she had to start the show off because Shane had to be at two places at the same time and hopefully that never happens again and the reason I say that is you're in camp with someone and you kind of trust them they're part of your process so when you win, you win together when you lose, you lose together so you finish a fight and you've got all of these emotions you're happy, you're boxing in London your people are there You know, people from your amateur club, the Lynn are there people from your life are there and it's an emotional night because, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say Ellie lost her grandmother. And so this was a heavily emotional time for her. As a trainer, you want to be there to, to manage that post-fight emotional kind of roller coaster you go through. So for Shane to have to then go back and go and prep Caroline isn't ideal. And I think Shane being the, the man that he is, 
would have been upset that he was in a position where he had to do that. And I understand that. You, you can have Chris Bidham Smith there as much as you want, but that's not the guy that's taking you on pads. That's not the guy that's in your corner. Um, that's not the guy that's giving you the instructions. So I kind of felt for her. Number one, starting because when you're in London, you kind of want to be as close to the main event as possible, get that full arena feel. And I feel for her, but it's always L. L looks good, and I like the fact that she never stops being mean, right? Lovely in the media, all of this, but when it comes fight time, mean. That's the cat for dinner. So I'm happy. Um, we've got to start talking unification soon because that's the nature of the women's division. Uh, other fights, Shivon Clark, another progression fight. Uh, it's tricky because obviously he's not the youngest, but if you look at what he did against, is it Duca? He's not showing that you could whack him in with a Mikel Lawal or a Chamberlain and he'd be all right. He's not showing that level. How soon can he get there? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. He can definitely get there, but it might be a slower journey than for other people because like, he's not. I mean, he's not young, and so that development's a little bit harder. But like him, lovely kid, brilliant story, and, and you can you can imagine Matchroom leaning into that as he gets better and better. But they've got to move him along at the right time. Uh, but we'd like to see him in amongst that British mix in the next 12 months or so. That would be good. And then to be honest, the rest of the card is like padded out with um, just kind of guys on the way up. Uh, on the women's side, Maisie Rose, uh, Rhiannon Dixon, Shannon Ryan, George Liddard. Um, I think he's coming out of the Sims gym. Jimmy Sainz, who sold a truckload of tickets from what I'm hearing. And so... Kind of like a next-gen card that gave you a showcase to Eddie's return to the cruiserweight division and, I mean, making noise. But I'd still place that above the boxer card. Just, I mean, I think Matchroom have this thing figured out where when the cards are pretty mediocre or trash, however you want to call it, Hearn comes into his own. So, like, my highlight of the Matchroom fight week was Hearn just... And I know he's probably memorized it because number one, it's his business too. And number two, you know, he knew it'd be a good trick. But just hitting that full schedule spiel, uh, apart from saying Josh Warrington's from Sheffield, I think that was the only gaffe in his thing. But I thought that was brilliant. That's the Hearn we don't get enough of. Or the Hearn trying to poo-poo stories, and the, that's not the Hearn we like. The Hearn we like is when he goes into that full salesman mode. The the aggressive coming out swinging her and we don't buy because we know how how weak his stable is, but we like salesman Eddie. You sell us the dream and then we can be disappointed further down the line. But him in that lane, untouchable, and that's the that's the home we need to see more of. Now this card was weak. The boxer card was weak. Weak. If if I was sat in that Sky headquarters, that campus in Osterley, I'd be walking in on Monday going, what the hell was that? On Saturday the 30th of September, that is the best card we could come up with. That is the best card we could come up with. We've got Mick Hennessy's daughter making her debut. 
Like literally the definition of a favour for a friend. Like, you know, nepotism's cool, but not when we're paying subscription fees. Uh, we've got Stephen McKenna, another Hennessy project. And I'll be honest with you, don't care about either of those two brothers. Never impressed me. Um, very low ceilings of development. Then we had Jamie Shakiva, TKV. I want to come on to that because I think that one's a bit more nuanced. And I know people say, ah, you're saying that because he's your mate. Yeah, <laughs> which means I know a bit more about this one. You had Vidal Riley against Nathan Corliss, trade fight. I'm not going to cry about that because I get that you need that kind of, you need that name on your record for your, for you, I mean, your prospects to make sense. So I've got nothing against that sort of fight for Vidal as he develops. Um, Callum Simpson was meant to fight Jermaine Brown that didn't happen so standing opponent not going to cry about that or if Sky going to back Callum Simpson cool showcase him no issue with that Caroline Dubois facing I think it's Magali Rodriguez and I'm looking at that going um, how's that headlining like Caroline's not a headliner yet because Caroline can't shift tickets on her own she's fantastic Talented, brilliant. Um, never hear a word said against her. She's just not a headliner. And if Sky can't find a boxer to headline York Hall, they have big, big problems. There are big problems if you cannot find someone to headline York Hall and sell it out just on their name alone. I wonder if they sold more tickets than Steve Goodwin did. I'm confident they didn't the prices were off um they overcomplicated the seating you know that's the sort of arena where it should all be unreserved seating and you just kind of get a place you're either ringside or you're in the balcony or whatever you shouldn't have to this is a sign of people just not understanding how that kind of small hall scene works you go there because you want to see a mace you want to sit down when the seat's free you want to just sit down and watch number about number three or whatever it is you don't want to feel overly restricted and overly controlled and they're not paying attention at this moment and i just think the stuff behind the scenes doesn't strike me as being as synced up as we thought it would be by this point so in terms of caroline dubois she wins the ibo title and i'm like awesome you know michaela mayo's run off to welterweight because she doesn't want to get battered um, no one's making any noise about Caroline Dubois at the moment, which they should be. Um, put her in with Katie Taylor, for God's sake. Why not? What do you do with her? Um, I think she'll be spinning her wheels for a while because no one's going to want it. But the thing is, she's just going to get better and better, more and more menacing. So it's going to be harder to match her. You're going to have to start moving her up the weight classes, like to, to those 140, 147-pound weight classes. And I think she still wreaks havoc. But, yeah, in terms of the women's side of boxing, definitely one to stay close to and get behind. Um, Fran Hennessy, like I said, favour for the promoter. She's not a bad boxer, but that's who they picked to shift tickets. That's who they picked. The McKenna kid, whatever. Um, like I said, Vidal Riley, cool. Yeah, get your, get your, get your win, get your experience. There will be far tougher tests to come for you. And we're looking forward to that. You never know. He might be an opponent for Jaya Pattaya. Vidal Riley's a kid who's got that pedigree too. So he can see things and he can read things. 
I'm not saying that fight happens now because obviously there's a gap in experience, but you close that gap and those are the sort of opportunities you should be knocking on the door for. So now let's let's zero in on Jamie TKV. I've known Jamie a long time. A long, long, long time. I've seen tens of his fights. Not hundreds, obviously. I've seen so many of his fights in person, on video. There are very few boxers I know physically, psychologically better than Jamie. I watched his fight and I said, wow, there's something not right here. Like, there's something not right. You're either fighting ill, um, you're injured. Because Jamie normally just has one mode and it is just maul and brawl. Yeah? Just bullies people. And for the record, he's done it to Dubois, he's done it to Joshua. He can he can really be in there and make it a hard day's work. He's unbelievably strong. And I'm watching a fight and I'm seeing Jamie Shakiva get backed up by shots that no one has backed him up with. And he's been in with guys that can dig and no one's been able to back him up. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. So I'm just thinking it's a bad day at the office. And this is happening round after round and he's, he can't get into the game. Um, looked a bit dazed in the second round. I'm like, what the hell is this? Now, oh man. Then the sixth round happens. And I think he gets caught with a one-two. And this hellacious cut opens up. Now my first instincts were, just let them get to the end of the round, see if they can fix the cut. And I held on to this till I saw the picture of the cut. And from what I understand, it's going to require plastic surgery. So Jamie's on the, he's on the shelf for a while while he heals up and recovers. Um, poor kid is all I can say. He's poor, poor kid so bear in mind at this point i'm watching it and i'm like okay i get why they stopped it the cut savage cool you know i did say let him get to the end of the round let the corner have a look and i got shot down on twitter by the you know the bedroom boxing experts bbe love it but look everyone's got an opinion why shouldn't they be allowed to voice it cool you know i I deliver content into the public. I should expect some pushback. I don't get sensitive about it anymore. But then it all starts kicking off. Right? And just from the bits I've picked up. So after the fight, they're all saying, Jamie, what happened? And Jamie, Jamie's view is, I've never been hit like that before. Bear in mind, this is a guy that's been in with AJ, with Dubois, heavy-handed people. He's like, I've never been hit that hard before. And you're like, huh? You know, when I'm hearing this story, I'm like, okay. So, just the bits I understand, representatives went into the Brazilian guy's changing room and said, we need to see the gloves. And there's a video on social media, I think it's on Barry Smith's page, of them looking at the gloves. And their view of the gloves were two things. One, those are very old gloves. They aren't the gloves that were used... Um, well, let me say that properly. 
The suspicion is those gloves are older than they were represented to be. There's all sorts of things you look at. The, the, the colours gone on them. The logo's messed up. It, it, the gloves look battered. And I know stuff happens in a fight, but probably not to that extent. And the other argument is there's no padding in these gloves. Right? So there's a whole back and forth over this. I think, I think it's with the board now. Don't quote me on this, but I think it's with the board to investigate. And so we've got to make a distinction here. No one is saying that Jamie was winning the fight before this happened. What they're saying is for the safety of fighters, we need to make sure the equipment is safe. This is belt and braces stuff. This is stuff they should be getting right in the first place. And that whole discussion got heated because it was like, yo, what's going on here? How are you how are you having these gloves? Your gloves look like they're six months old. How has this been allowed? And so the question is that, you know, will the board look at it and go, actually, bit of oversight on our part. We didn't maintain the custody we should have done. I don't know. I don't think this would have happened on a matchroom show. That's my overriding impression. I don't know, like they're a bit too sharp. And this is kind of the legacy of working with an operation that's still finding its feet. Um, there's been some turnover of staff, so obviously the processes aren't where they need to be. But I feel for Jamie. If it turns out the gloves were doctored, then I feel for him because that's a savage cut. From, from what they were saying is you could see like the skull, the bone on the skull. That's how deep it is. I've got a, got a picture on my phone. I dare not share it, but... I can see the cut, like you could put, you could easily put the tip of your finger in there and have room to wiggle around. It's a bad cut. If it was caused by someone using equipment they shouldn't have, then it's a problem. If it wasn't, then it's a lesson and a learning point for Jamie. But look, I've always said there's a good time to take a defeat and there's a bad time to take a defeat. At this point in your career, it's not a bad time at all to take a defeat because it will force you to look at everything forensically and go, could I really have been doing 20% more here, here, and here? And so I think he'll grow from this, and I think you should try and focus on those positive elements. And I know people say, ah, he's your mate. Is he really that good? Let him have the opportunity to find out, is what I would say. But, you know, we need to keep the sport safe. Because if, if, if guys who have been in the ring, like your Chris Congos and his brother, I think it was Obed or Elvis, I mean... If those guys are saying it, if I mean relatively experienced trainers like Barry Smith are saying these gloves are suspect, these are guys who have been in corners, like these are guys who know gloves. If people are saying this is suspect, the least you can do is investigate because you can't believe them because obviously they have a horse in the race. So you just need to go, actually, let's have a look and understand what's happening here. Because the argument is those are the gloves that they used in the public workout. And if that's the case, cool. But then you've got to go back and look at the public workout. Were they trying to manipulate the padding then? We don't know. You've got to go back and check all of these things. Um, is there a verifiable chain of custody for the gloves? Was there any point where he was trying to manipulate the padding in the gloves? These things are all important. Like I said, fighter safety over everything. And I think that, that those are two separate conversations. They just happen to be in relation to the same fighter, but we shouldn't have to question this. As as a boxing community, we should never have to question whether the gloves are the gloves. 
above all else. We shouldn't have to question whether the wraps are the wraps. We shouldn't have to question whether the gloves are the gloves. And we should never have to question whether an athlete is clean. And so I think it's incumbent on Boxer to start setting minimum standards of excellence around those three areas. Just so we can have that confidence that, you know, the fight and the result are fair. So before I tap out um, and wish you guys a good day, I wanted to just speak about that, that Channel 4 documentary uh, where they went at the board, accusing the board of racial discrimination. Um, these things are tricky because if you said to me, is there racism in boxing? Yeah. I don't care how you want to call it. Is it from the boxers, the coaches, the fans? Don't know, man, but there's racism in this country and sport mirrors our society. So there is racism. Do I think that documentary was the hill I'd be willing to die on when it comes to racism? No. Um, so first things first, from a combat sport perspective, I think it's very hard to be racist. It's very hard to be homophobic. It's very hard to be Islamophobic because what happens when you get beaten up by the very thing that you're against? It's, I mean, it's a false economy for you. you know, I know people kind of oversell the ability of boxing to bring people together from all sorts of backgrounds. But that is very, very important, that understanding that if you're homophobic, you may get beaten up by a guy who's a sub-bottom or power top. Do you know what I mean? So be very careful what you wish for. So boxing generally quite hard to, to, to live in that parallel life where you can say, I don't like this group. I'm never going to box them because at some point you're going to have to face them. So if you're willing to face them, then maybe your beliefs aren't as deep-rooted as you thought. Now, to, to have Roxana Begum, Ian John Lewis, and Jeffrey Hines as your representation of racism in the British Boxing Board, probably not the people I would have chosen, but understand why you know, if you're a journalist looking for a story, it's easy. You've got the Muslim woman, you've got the mixed-race man, you've got the black man, cool. But here's the thing, Roxana Begum was never very good at boxing. No one, no, I don't believe there's anyone who's a fan of boxing who's like, oh my God, give her her license back. You're like, she wasn't really that good. Um, even at the lowest possible level, like she was fighting those those TK Maxx shelf stackers, and she was struggling. So fair enough, man. You got to ask yourself, why did she get a license in the first place? Um, from what I understand, when it comes to boxing, if there is a reason you need to do something, be it religious or whatever, you put in an application, and the board will make a decision on that. So I, you know, maybe she just didn't go through the proper channels. But Roxana Begum is not an illustration of racism, I don't think. I don't think Ian John Lewis is, because you can just go on Twitter, type in Ian John Lewis, and there's years of his scorecards being scrutinized, and people going, he's not fit for purpose. So the board getting rid of him is what boxing fans wanted in the main. I'm not saying everyone, but there was a large number of people who were like, yeah, the guy I feel sorry for is Jeff Hines. Jeff Hines is a good man. He's a good man. He, he really knows his boxing. He, he's like integrity upon integrity upon integrity. And he's a good referee. 
he should have been an A-star referee. I don't see why he isn't. Now, if he's saying that he's he feels that there's a problem, I'm more inclined to believe Jeff Hines because of the man that he is. And the fact that he's not a guy that normally kicks against the establishment. And so it'll be interesting to see how all of this goes. But it's it's... The board is in trouble because, like, there have been allegations. I mean, there's all this stuff that leaks out about the board. Um, people boxing that shouldn't have been boxing from other countries and all this sort of stuff. And I'm not saying any one of these things is egregious in its own right. What I am saying is it creates a tone and it, it sets a climate where the board is not in control of what it should be in control of. And they can't be long off the government going, we need to intervene. Much like Birmingham City Council, they'll just come in and say... We're going to regulate this. And one of the things that will happen is all those guys will be asked to leave. Although some of them should. A lot of those guys have been there too long and not very progressive. We're not looking forward. How do you grow the sport? They don't know. They leave it to the promoters. But how do you grow the sport? How do you make boxing an important part of our social fabric? They don't deal with any of this stuff. To be fair, they don't do it on the amateur side either. But they should. Boxing should be at the heart of our society because it's given us so many great memories. But, yeah, I don't think that documentary was the racism expo expose that it should have been. I think you'll find that the real race problem in boxing is this. Non-white people are allowed to put their bodies on the line. They are allowed to let their bodies get battered in the training of these athletes and fighters and that's cool they're never allowed to have positions of influence don't believe me Audley Harrison tried you don't believe me David Hay tried yeah you don't believe me Lennox Lewis tried and they weren't allowed they were shot down in the in the back channels yeah they were blocked from doing anything why haven't we got those guys running boxing why don't we have someone like George Groves on the British Boxing Board of Control, James DeGale, guys who know the sport and they're close enough to it now to go, ah, here's some things to work on. Instead, we've got these granddads who, a lot of those guys never boxed as pros and that's okay. But we can't be excluding some of these guys who want to give back. They should have the opportunity. And we've never been given a reason why. You know, Robert Smith comes out and his attitude is, we will decide what's best for us. We don't care about the fans. <sighs> Therein lies the problem. When you can say stuff like that, look what happened when they tried to do that Super League and those Chelsea fans said, <laughs> we're about to raid this <laughs> We're about to raid this club, that's for damn sure. But we need change. Yeah, we need change. We need to pivot towards a more fan-friendly sport, a sport where... We increase safety, but we increase entertainment for fans. And I think a key thing is the board approving certain bouts. Like, I think the board need to be stricter on fights that they say no to. They should be the people who understand careers enough where they say, actually, this guy's been fighting the same type of fighter for eight fights. Nah, we're not approving it anymore. No more showcases. Even Hearn said this about Kevin Agyaka, where he said, I can't keep paying for runouts. So it's not what I'm willing to spend my money on. But... That's what you were saying in 2020. Like, come on, man. Like, when are we going to fix that? Where we know that every so often 
the promoters have to put their guys in harm's way. I like what Goodwin's trying to do with Boxmania, where you like make some big fights every quarter. Cool. We need more of that. Um, and just last thing I wanted to say, I know people say, oh, you always give Hearn a hard time. I give Hearn a hard time when he deserves it. I think the last couple of weeks he's been in good form. I thought he handled the Frank Smith thing really well because it's true. You want to spout opinions in the public? Cool. You get it wrong, they're going to jump on you. I know what that feels like. You get it wrong, they're going to jump on you. you know, too many people, I think, right now feel that they can talk and nothing can come back. That's not how the game works. That's not how you earn respect. So what Frank said was, it was ridiculous. I get the sentiment where what he's saying is, there are highly qualified people looking at these, these documents and this evidence, allow them to reach their conclusion. I get that. But to say that, you know, builders, they don't need to read these, of course they, why not? You want them to buy your tickets? <laughs> oh, ooh, buy this ticket, buy this pay-per-view, do this, do that. But, oh, you want to you wanna get under the bonnet of what's happening in the sport? Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that because then we'd be accountable for more stuff and we hate being accountable because then we actually have to do stuff. And I thought Hearn played it well and said Frank's just got to take his lumps. Um, I think he's been quite measured about the Fury-Usyk thing. I think he accepts the reality that his play for Saudi is done. And so he'll look at Abu Dhabi as an option. That's, that's cool. And maybe Hearn needs this kind of deterioration of the matchroom stable to, to bring out his best. So we watched it with interest, man. I, so yeah, I give people a hard time, but I, I keep saying this, and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. This is an ecosystem. We all kind of need each other. Hearn needs outlets like this because when he announces a fight, he wants to know what the heartbeat is. Has this connected with the people it needs to connect to? And we need Hearn because we need to know, hey, what's the institutional thinking? So it's never personal. And I hope people don't take it personally, man. We're just all organisms in an ecosystem just trying to survive. That's it. You know, that's it. Sometimes it's strong, sometimes it's funny. But at the end of the day... I don't wish any harm on anybody. Um, I was messaging someone earlier, you know, boxing related, and I just said, the good guys will always last in this sport. If your heart's pure, you'll always last in this sport because no matter what people say about you, they'll respect you. Because there are so many wrongings in this sport that when you find a good person, you're like, yeah, take him warts and all. And on that note, let me tap out and say have a great day, guys. And as always, if you enjoy this, share it. Um, tell a friend to tell a friend. You know, we're doing really good numbers now. And that's all down to you guys. 100% down to you guys. And if we can kick on and find another gear, I think we're going to leave the rest of these outlets behind. And, you know, we don't name names anymore just because there's no need to be disrespectful. But, yeah, let's make this the number one outlet for boxing. Like, without peer, without doubt, without anything. And no one's answered the question, should I put these on YouTube, yes or no? That's the question. Because I don't want to put them on YouTube and they get 15 views and then people say, ah, look at him, Billy No Mates. I, I just don't want that. You know, sometimes I do get sensitive. Uh, but on that note, let me tap out and say have a good day, guys. Mm -hmm.